poquito Villa, suelta bien, aquí viene Márquez, del otro lado, solo Cuauhtémoc, Cuauhtémoc, suya, 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 suya. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the business side of soccer part two. Uh, we recorded part one back in uh, December 2017, got a lot of back, so it's the only time before we recorded another one um, to help me create the two letters. Darren, oh, no, kidding. Um, Walter Franco. Walter, how's it going? Good, well, thanks for uh, having me on. Uh, it's been a while, but definitely uh, glad, to be glad to be back. A lot of things have happened on the business side of soccer, both in the U.S. and Mexico and abroad, so looking forward to kind of catch up on that. Well, first things first, Chicharito, coming to Chivas, uh, not Chivas, sorry, didn't get you, get you guys excited there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> coming to uh, L.A., three years at a $6 million guaranteed with an option for fourth year um, with incentives, so I think that six can easily go to seven. He's got a $9.4 million transfer fee. Uh, what are your thoughts, Walter? Um, well, I mean, since this is the business side, I'll avoid the uh, the personal stuff and the uh, the on the field stuff. I, I I'll just quickly say I don't I don't I think it's gonna be tough for him to break Vela's record uh, or even maybe get as many goals as Latan. But you know, off the field, definitely can't blame him for making that decision. Um, he's gonna be one of the highest paid players in MLS. He's definitely gonna be uh, worth cost for LA Galaxy both from a TV ratings perspective and also just in-market sponsorships, regional sponsorships, and even national sponsorships. Um, I think I think it, uh, kind of a, a, a interesting topic that a lot of people brought up was the difference between him and uh, Beckham. Um, I think Beckham definitely raised the profile of MLS on the, on the global scale a little bit just by bringing more awareness about the league, but it didn't really you know, move the needle with, Me with the Mexican-American demographic in the U.S. I think with Chicharito, you see the reverse. There's not going to be a lot of interest globally. No one's going to really care. But now you're going to get the attention of a lot of Mexican-Americans that have, you know, an emotional attachment to Chicharito for the last, you know, 10-plus years. Either if you're a Chivas fan or you follow the national team, he's been a part of so many great moments for Mexican uh, fans. And so now to have him in your backyard for Mexican-Americans, both in the L.A. market and when, they, when he goes to play in, in other markets, you're going to expect to see packed houses, expect to see a greater response, you know, affinity for him than for, say, Vela. And so um, I think this is a big win for MLS. Um, I think you will see a bump in ratings only for LA Galaxy games, though. I don't think you're going to see an overall interest necessarily in MLS across the board. But um, I think it's positive for the league. And I think this might be an, uh, almost a tipping point now where you're going to see more Mexican players in their primes uh, potentially go to MLS uh, following the model that, that Chicharito is doing. Uh, and as, as I've always said, as MLS starts to spend more money on players that are still in their prime and starts to raise you know, their, either their salary cap or it creates more uh, roster spots for, for designated players or just gets rid of that period and starts to uh, you know, um, you know, allow for more free spending by clubs, um, you're going to start to see more players coming over here, and that's really where you're going to start to see that, that uh, you know, the on-the-field product match what Liga MX is, is putting out right now. And it's something to note real quick is that, you know, MLS is still, they're literally in the middle of negotiating their next CBA. So it's kind of interesting to see maybe if this if this affects that in any way, you know, where maybe the players got a little bit more leverage now. Maybe it's like, hey, everyone's going to want to see two straight those first game. I'm sure MLS doesn't want to... Uh, had that game be pushed off because of a strike or anything like that. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And then the other thing too that I forgot to mention was um, the Athletic came out with an article, um, I think maybe a week or two ago, that 
they were trying to make some changes from the ownership side uh, to basically put more restrictions on uh, on roster and just and spending to avoid having super clubs like Atlanta United and Toronto FC and now you know LA Galaxy so that these other clubs that aren't willing to spend as much don't fall fall away from the pack and so um, you're seeing a little bit of tug uh, back and forth there I remember with uh, one of the last uh, CBA uh, lockouts, which I think was in, I want to say in 2015, they got pretty close to, to delaying the start of the season. So I think you're right. I think the players definitely have a little bit more leverage now because MLS does not want a black eye to uh, have a delay in, in the upcoming season with, uh, with Chicharito and Vela matches in, in the wings and uh, kind of what their marketing push is going to be over the next month and a half. And I think that'd be a big mistake because just how it is just how it is right now you really can't have a super club for more than a season because you have everyone right. everyone is club and the next thing you know that everyone needs a raise well there's it's just so many there's it's almost easier to bring in other talent foreign talent than to resign your own players just the way the CBA set up even Atlanta they had to get rid of Julian Gressel because they couldn't really give him what he wanted they had got they got right. rid of uh, the defender uh, was it Gonzalez Perez to Tijuana? Because yep. yep. it's, it's hard to keep these clubs as is, as it is in a lot of leagues. You know, it's kind of tough to salary cap leagues to keep this dynasty going. So I, I think it's going to be very interesting how they navigate the CBA. It's 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 almost weird that they kind of don't do anything till right before the season starts. So teams are signing players to contracts, not fully knowing the roster rules for upcoming season. It's kind of crazy when you really think about it. Yeah, and but I mean, can you blame them? Because the the roster rules are so ridiculously hard to to understand, just for anyone. I mean, uh, any coach that comes from uh you know from outside of MLS needs to a crash course in understanding you know how you know Tam and Jam and everything works, right? And so even Almeida, I think, spoke about that when he first got to the league. He had to understand the different intricacies of contracts and and player restrictions, and so you know. And I think one thing too that's interesting is you know we see what's happening with League MX with trying to put restrictions on foreigners and how that how having too many foreigners has you know been a negative for the development of Mexican players both in Liga MX and uh, therefore affecting the national team and you're you're kind of seeing that a little bit too with MLS is that you're you know do you want to bring in a lot of stars from you know from the extranjero and then what happens with the players that you're trying to develop in the US you need to have a strong uh, base of American players and I guess you can say that for any league you want to have a strong base of national players uh, you know, as the core of your your league, and not have too many foreigners because then you're not creating development for them, right? And then those those you know nat- those citizens are going to have to look elsewhere for playing time. And so I think MLS and LMS are having similar struggles there, but for different reasons. Uh, more on MLS just because of their the nature of their business. And it's a weird, interesting time because you know we'll get into a little bit later, but we talked a little bit before we started recording. But all of MLS's TV deals run through 2022, and there's no way whatever deal they sign right now doesn't run past that. So it's right. a little tricky. The last deal was, like you said, 2014, I believe it was, five years ago. Let's say the next deal runs for five years. That's going to be 2025. Uh, what happens in 2022, the World Cup? Or, sorry, was it 2026, the World Cup? Is yeah, in 2026, America. yeah. So, and, yeah, and I think, I think they're trying to do it through 2026, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And... Um, Again, I mean, right now they're getting 90 million for a year, right? And so, but the thing too is that that's that contract is for both MLS and U.S. soccer, and so we don't know how much of that is truly going to MLS. 
and how much of that is going to U.S. soccer. So, so obviously it's probably less. And then if you were to divide that out over the 24-plus teams or however many teams will be in MLS this year and then the next year and the year after that, it's really coming down to, you know, 4 to $5 million per club when you, when, you, when you talk about a revenue split, right, or less, most likely. And so when you compare that to, say, you know, college football, for example, where those deals are brokered on a, on a per-conference basis. So I'm going – being out on the West Coast, I'm going to refer to the Pac-12. And so the Pac-12 conference, each Pac-12 school is getting – Roughly, um, I don't have the, the figure off the top of my head, but it's somewhere around the $20 million range per year for broadcast rights. And so that just shows you still, you know, the power of football, college football no less, and where soccer is relative to that in terms of broadcast rights, right? So, you know, a professional team is making 3 to $4 million per, perhaps right now in the current deal, and then you have a team like University of Oregon that's getting $20 million plus. Uh, for their broadcast rights on an annual basis. And that's not counting uh, local rights, which a lot of these teams barely get any revenue in that. But Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, And and, and, and it's fair to say, with the exception of uh, the LA Galaxy, which through Spectrum Sports, uh, no other you know local deal probably comes anywhere near to them. I think theirs was, I want to say, I think it was over $50 million over 10 years, somewhere in that range. But uh, Yeah, was it was a 10-year, $55 million deal that runs through 2021, and it's the richest okay. league. It's the richest one in the league because uh, yeah. I think uh, LAFC has a similar deal but th- with YouTube TV, but that also includes a sp- jersey sponsorship. Right. So it's a little mixed up. But while well, we brought that up, so the Galaxy are making $5.5 million this year under TV deal, and they're also making – almost four and a half on their jersey deal. So just right there, they're making $10 million. Right. And both of those deals run through uh, the 2021 season. So Chicharito is going to be there through 2023 at least. He's got a fourth-year option. So they're going to be in a great position to renegotiate that, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. I mean, especially if, if he uh, if he does well too, right? Assuming he stays healthy, assuming that, you know, Especially the the local TV deal, if they maximize his presence, they have, you know, maybe they partner with, uh, you know, Diego Dreyfus and and the the Naked Humans crew and start, you know, a Naked Humans TV, uh, and, and you know, cut out some segment part of as part of the pregame show or the postgame show. So I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities for the Galaxy to really maximize uh, their TV deals, both in English and in Spanish in LA. So uh, I think. For the Chicharito Galaxy MLS relationship, it's definitely win-win-win across the board. And the timing just—it just could have been better. Like I said, those deals are up while Chicharito is still on their contract, so it's going to be—it's going to be great for them, man. Like you said, uh, the Galaxy, <clears throat> per the article in uh, the Athletic, the Galaxy have sold roughly double the number of season tickets since they announced Chicharito than they did in the first few days after they announced Ibrahimovic in 2018. Like you were saying earlier. Like, this Chicharito deal is going to have more an immediate effect in the local area as opposed to, like, international. But it just goes to show you the power of Chicharito. I mean, I, I expect him to sell that thing out even during those dreaded midweek games. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it shows, too, it's going to really un, unleash the power of the uh, Mexican-American demographic in the U.S. You know, not just in L.A., but, but, you know, throughout the Southwest and in other markets like Atlanta and Charlotte where there's a heavy concentration of, of Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. I'm just ready for that that half-Galaxy, half-Mexico national team kit. Ready. Oh, I'm, ready right. for that. I'm ready for that bootleg. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about it, too. I think uh, someone, uh, I saw someone on Twitter had a, uh, uh, well, you, I'm sure you've seen the ones that have, like, the half-USA, half-Mexico ones that you can just get at any flea market and stuff. So I'm, I'm sure 
Mexicans are, uh, as, as the saying goes recently, Mexicans are perfect. They're going to find a way to create some pretty funny jerseys uh, involving the Galaxy and Chivas and anything else with Charito and, and Bella. I'm pretty sure I got like a half Club America, half, half Chicago Fire jersey <laughs> in my closet somewhere with Cuauhtémoc Blanco on the back. <laughs> uh, and uh, another thing that uh, the TV deal is that, is that the that I think it's we said Spectrum or Sportsnet. I forget who the deal is with. Yeah, I, it's um, I, I used to know, but they, I think they recently changed uh, changed names. But yeah, I think it's Spectrum TV. Well, either way. They have first dibs on any friendly games too, so they might even get even more than that 5.5 annually. So let's just say if yeah. uh, Galaxy play, I don't know, Manchester United or something. If it's part, and if it's not part of, the, I'm assuming, I'm assuming it would be, but if it's not part of that IC, I, yeah, ICC, ICC, they might get a bigger yeah. cut for that, that too. Yep, yep. <clears throat> In a broader MLS is making 90, about 90 million dollars per year through 2022 on their current TV TV deal. 15 from Univision, 75 from uh, ESPN and Fox Sports. <clears throat> Last season, they averaged about 270,000 viewers across all channels, which is about down 20% from 2018, but only down 9% if you discount those games that had a World Cup leading game. Um, do you think, is it safe to say those ratings are going to go up, down, or like you said, is this going to be mostly games featuring Chicharito? Yeah, I mean, I... I... I really think it's just going to be games featuring Chicharito. I think, um, you know, for you to see a real increase in, you know, per average or average per game ratings, you're, you're going to have to have more Chicharito-like signings uh, for every club, right? I mean, so it'll be interesting. looks like Inter-Miami Inter FC uh, won't be getting their big-name signing that they were hoping for uh, for this season. But if, assuming they do last minute, you know, that would help. Uh, specifically for that market and, and potentially for, for other markets where they play. But I think, you know, Chicharito will definitely draw eyeballs, but, you know, that's not going to draw eyeballs if it's, you know, Real Salt Lake versus uh, Sporting Kansas City. Because, uh, you know, Pulido... Pulido, come on. I, I, no, actually, actually, speaking of this, it kind of makes me feel bad for Pulido because, you know, he he's probably feeling, you know, great, you know, getting all the spotlight and all of a sudden he's completely overshadowed now by Chicharito. So, well, you know, Pulido signed be, with know, Kansas. He knew he was never going to be in the spotlight. Yeah, let's yeah, be yeah. So I mean, he, he's going to be a secondary story now. But I mean, that just again, I think that just shows though, you know, this trend where, you know, Mexicans in their prime, you know, even if they're not featured in the national team, but they have some type of, you know, prominence in Mexico or have had successful careers in Mexico, uh, they're going to go to MLS. They're gonna, the, the checks are always going to clear. They're going to be able to travel in luxury, even though, you know, right now the whole issue is they don't, they don't fly on charter. But, I mean, that's still uh, – they're going to have first-class hotels. Uh, for the most part, they're probably not going to be hounded by the media here as, as they would in Mexico. Uh, so I think you're going to start to see that. And so, you know, for better or worse, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that will affect the national team. I think what's also interesting, though, too, is that not just from the Mexican side, you're starting to see, you know, a lot of South American uh, – players uh, that feature on national teams are, are really starting to make a presence in MLS. So you look at what's been happening recently with the Peruvian national team, for example. I think I want to say maybe, you know, eight or nine players now that feature uh, heavily uh, with the Peruvian national team are playing in MLS now, especially with Edison Flores that's now with uh, DC United. Uh, you have players uh, that uh, Rui Diaz in Seattle, just to name a few. And so a lot of the Peruvian national team base will be based out of MLS now. So we, are you going to see that with second, with middle, I guess maybe that's not the right word, middle, mid-table uh, CONCACAF clubs 
but you're going to start to see, or, or nation, excuse me. So are you going to start to see more, you know, Venezuelan players like Joseph Martinez play in MLS? Um, are you going to start to see even more Peruvians or Bolivians uh, or even more Paraguayans? Looks like for Paraguayans, this is a uh, good place to, you know, spring more potentially to to Europe. And so I, I think as a positive, I think it's probably a positive for MLS. You're going to start to see a lot more younger talents or people in their prime. Um, and and then I think maybe that's going to help MLS potentially to maybe create their own identity that, oh, you know what, we're not going to be the best league for maybe a long time, but maybe we can be, you know, a selling league and we can, you know, nurture talent and, and develop players and, and be, you know, attract people here uh, and then sell them for a fee and, and make money. And, and we can kind of be, you know, that, that stepping stone instead of Mexico being the stepping stone for, for Latin American players to, to make the jump to Europe. And that kind of comes back to the point we talked about earlier with the CBA. Um, right. MLS teams typically get two thirds of a transfer fee unless he's a homegrown or he's signed or he's a DP. There's a couple qualifiers but typically an mls club gets two-thirds of the transfer fee if, if you're being sold outside of of the league so right they kind of get screwed in that that hey this i get i sold this guy for 10 million dollars but i only get 6.6 million dollars back and then i only get some of that in allocation money it's just it's like a weird process that hopefully the cba fixes it but even in recent years MLS clubs have become more selling, more selling clubs, you know, so the, so the agents know that they say, Hey, I see these, I got a young 19 year old kid. He might not be able to play, cut it first division in Argentina or Mexico, but Hey, let me take him to MLS. They'll play him. And you know, they're looking to get sold. So it's right. maybe just more eyeballs in general for the league is good. Like you're saying, Hey, maybe I'm not going to watch that Kansas city Columbus game, but Hey, maybe I've, maybe I already subscribed to ESPN Plus. There's nothing else on. Yeah, I'll put it on. Why not? You know, just right. eyeballs and, and, and doesn't I, hurt. And I, and I saw a tweet uh, this week that someone had predicted. Someone that's uh, an MLS talking head that had suggested that they're confident that one of the Vela or maybe both uh, El Tráfico matches are going to do better than any league MX game in the upcoming season, which I I probably highly doubt. I think. Uh, I, I don't like I said I don't have it off the top of my head, but I think last year the highest rated MLS game was maybe like 1.2 million or something like that, and I think yeah, uh, it's a playoff game. Yep. Yeah, and so for Liga MX though, I think it was what was it like 3. Point something million, and the highest 3. ever. 3.7 was like the first round of the final. Uh, the final, yeah. yeah, and then I think I think a year or two before that though, uh, there was a Liga MX final that I think averaged 4.5 or 4.4 or something like that. I don't remember if it was yep. if I, I think I was involved. It might have been uh, Tigres America. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't, I really don't think. I, I think this year you'll probably see similar numbers for another League MX final in that three, three to four million dollar, uh, three to four million viewer range. But I really don't think you're going to see that for an El Tráfico match. I, I think maybe over a million, uh, which would still be great for MLS, right? But I, I, I think at the end of the day, League MX is still king right now in the U.S. for TV ratings. But you know, over the next three years, you're going to start to see that start to change a little bit but uh not yet not yet for me and hopefully with with the Chicharito signing being done in uh january not in june july maybe mls and their tv sponsors or, t or tv partners can flex in more of his games into prime time as opposed to right we got a random game at noon on a saturday it's like well maybe let's push that game up make it a prime time game and get some more eyeballs on it i agree 100 uh, percent yeah, so it's, it should be great. I mean, I'm I I 
I'm a big MLS fan. I'm, I mean, I'm not dumb. I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, it's going to be the best league in the world in the next 10 years. It's not, but I enjoy it. It's a fun league. It's local. I can go to a game. I mean, it's going to be nice to see, be able to see Chicharito up close, you know, in a, in a club setting as opposed to maybe when they come in, when maybe when his you know, European clubs have come and done friendlies and stuff like that, which now that I'm right. trying to remember, when was the last time he had a friendly in the U.S.? He's usually playing for Mexico in the summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the last time, I mean, probably when he was with Manchester United, no? I think that was the last time he played in a, a club. I think so. Yeah, maybe in the West first Ham. iteration of the ICC or something. Yeah, West Ham didn't yeah. have any games out here. They had I, yeah. their camps in, like, Germany and stuff, their training yeah. camps. Yeah, and I don't remember Leverkusen doing anything in the U.S. while he was there, and obviously Sevilla. I think I, they, they, tried, they tried. Leverkusen did the that that tournament in Florida, which is, like, two games in January. Okay. They so did that one year. I don't remember, though. But either either way, though, like, like Florida is not a market for Chicharito, right? No one, you know, he, he doesn't have the same relevance there as he would if the game were in Texas or in Arizona or California yeah. or even Chicago, right? So, yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, and then Sevilla, uh, you know, they missed out on a – well, this isn't their fault. It's more the promoter's fault. They had, you know, four games scheduled this last October, November to come to the U.S. as part of their Sevilla USA tour, and that's when they had Chicharito. But uh, it looks like there were some issues with the promoter, and, and so all those games got canceled because they were going to play against Pumas, against uh, Monterrey, against America, and I think against I can't remember if it was going to be something like one or another club, but anyway, it ended up it ended up not working out. But that would have been a great opportunity for Sevilla to really capture, uh, you know, a significant uh, marketing marketing opportunity with Chicharito in the U.S. Yeah, definitely a missed opportunity. I mean, even Raúl Betis had two games in May in the U.S. Yeah. And they, I mean, they they had Guardado and uh, Lainez, and all all respect to Guardado, he's not the draw that Chicharito is, you nope. know. Nope, not at all. And and I think you know a lot of people talk about that too. There's there really is no other Mexican player currently an active Mexican player that would have the same marketing power that Chicharito does. No one even comes close. I mean, the 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 only person I could have thought would have been Vela when he was in his prime, but. That's he's a distance. But his it, when he, when he was in his prime, he wasn't even playing for Mexico, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, maybe just prominence, right? And I think Jimenez is making a great name for himself right now. Everything he's doing, but he's really made more of a splash on the club side. And I think it's arguable that he really hasn't had uh, as much of an impact on the national team. You know, of course, we know what he did against Panama with the bicycle kick, and he and he won an Olympic gold and and everything. But he really hasn't had, you know. Uh, a terrific career on the national team scoring goals what he's supposed to do on the national team to really you know elevate himself as, as a household name for the mexican national team and so what he's doing now with wolves is great but um you know well just a, like you said right there wolves wolves yeah. it's not real madrid it's not manchester united it's not even Bayer leverkusen you know exactly so you know it, and i say that as someone who literally just opened up his mail and got a Chicharito Manchester United kit and a Chicharito West Ham kit. <laughs> there you go, yeah. And so I think I think with uh, Raul Jimenez, it'll. Uh, I guess we're not really talking business now, but I think with him, you know, he's really it for for strikers for for the Mexican national team for Qatar, right? I mean, the only one that's really making making a splash in Europe, and and you know, Lozano's struggling right now in, in Napoli, and you know, Tecatito's doing his thing in in uh, in Portugal, but I mean. It's kind of yeah, like I mean, the, I think there's a right back, a right wing back yeah. now at this yeah. point. Yeah, but so I mean, but yeah, so I mean, it's really Jimenez is really the only guy that you're going to be able to count for, uh, you know, count on as a delantero. You know, so are you going to? Yeah. You know, 
the national team, are you going to go come back begging for Vela to come back one more one more time and and maybe try to get Chicharito just you know to play kind of that Rafa Marquez you know leadership role where he can kind of you know rally the troops in the locker room and come on as a super sub, you know well, what's the strategy there? Who knows? But you know it's kind of scary if you're a Mexican national team fan to think, man, it almost feels like the cupboard's a little bit bare in terms of having you know you know a lot of prospects or potential on, across the pond. So um, a, a lot a lot of uh, concern I would say and and unquote uh, unanswered questions. Uh, in the lead up to, to 2022. And just to turn it real quick back to business, did you, have you seen those articles about uh, Wolves? Um, I think the one of the Wolves uh, presidents was at Soccer X. Uh-huh. Uh, that's, uh, his name is uh, Russell. Yeah, and he, I think, I think I, it might have even been you who posted that on LinkedIn that I read, but he was talking yeah. about how they have more, more fans in Mexico than they do in England. Yeah. That's insane. And, and, and to their credit, they've really captured, they, they, they've capitalized on it, and they were quick about it too. And so they, they, they came out with that alternative green jersey, which they, you know, tongue-in-cheek said, you know, this wasn't necessarily for Mexican fans, but they're definitely playing on it as though it were, and, and maybe it kind of is. But, um, you know, they, uh, they capitalized, it, uh, capitalized on it with their social media. They're actively working with, a- with partner agencies in Mexico. Um, they're looking to play friendly matches in the U.S. And so um, they're making the most of it, but... At the, at the end of the day, though, you know, Raul Jimenez still does not have that same marketing power as Chicharito, as Vela once did, uh, even Hector Herrera, I would say. And, and a lot has to do, as you just mentioned, because he plays for Wolves, right? And so if, if something were to happen... But they're making the most of it. They're making the most yeah, of no, it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, so good for them. And that's, that's what a club should do. And, and, I, and a lot of Liga MX clubs can learn from that. Tigres could have learned from that when they brought in uh, Gignac, uh, you know, Pachuca. They, they, when they brought in um, Honda, right? And so, uh, and then obviously Leon with, we've talked about this before with Leon with uh, Landon Donovan, right? And so uh, definitely lessons learned there, but it'll if uh, Jimenez, as the rumors are swirling around, should he go to another, you know, top, you know, top uh, club in EPL, in the EPL, that would be uh, a game changer for sure. We, so if something like that were to happen, then uh, look out. I, I think he can definitely be, uh, increase his marketing power uh, pretty easily. Yeah, I'm always a big fan when uh, clubs go all in with their Mexican players when they just promote him. I mean, they the their Espanol account on Twitter is just pretty much all all Jimenez, you know. Yeah. And they yeah. and they do a lot of good stuff, a lot of good posts, a lot of good video. Like their YouTube page is good with interviews and stuff. Like I always like when a club go, does a really good job marketing their players like that. And you know what? Even with Jimenez leaves. I'll, I'll watch a Wolves game, you know, if it's on TV. Like, that's just kind of how I started with uh, – I'm a Manchester United fan, and I was I was like a so-so fan. And then they signed Chicharito, and I watch every game, and I still do. You know, it, yeah. it's those yeah. those those things kind of build you – build build fans. And maybe that's what MLS is hoping Chicharito does. He's going to be there three, four years, and he's not going to be there in five, six years. But if I started watching – if I got sucked into the Galaxy when he was there, I'm probably still going to be a Galaxy fan, you know? Yeah, I agree. Speaking of uh, fans – have you have you heard anything about uh, Chivas doing anything in the U.S.? Are they still just gonna go with no TV deal and try to just go with their Chivas TV? Yeah, I mean, um, so Marca in the U.S. or excuse me, in Mexico. Um, I think it was Marca Record. I don't remember, but they came out with an article a few weeks ago that basically they were looking at selling uh, their global, basically global TV rights package to one distributor to one network. And really what they mean by that is, you know, 
probably just in the U.S. and Mexico because uh, it, it'd really be impo- uh, difficult to sell, you know, their, their rights to Japan or China or even in Europe. And so uh, they're, they were looking supposed, reportedly to sell their combined rights for $45 million a year. Which, uh, and were they looking to do like a long-term deal? Because one of the things I read from the, the one of the presidents from uh, Univision is that he said that Chivas wanted anytime Chivas talked to them about a, about a deal, their Chivas were always thinking short-term, short-term, and they wanted Univision wanted a long-term deal, and that's one of the things sticking points that led them to not be together this season. Yeah, that that, that sounds probably true. I I don't really have a pulse on that, and you know, obviously from a um, from the club side you like to have those shorter term deals because then you're able to react to the market better. And then, you know, after three years or four years, then you can say, you know what, our, our rights are worth now, you know, 10% higher than that. And, but while from the property side, you want to lock them in for a longer rate because you know, that's going to be the consistent stream. And then you don't have to worry about, you know, with inflation and other things like that. And so that's why you know, with, you know, college football and the NFL, you have those, you know, 10 plus year deals where they lock in that price. And so, uh, you have that consistent revenue stream, but, um, you know, with Chivas, um, you know, I, I wonder if, you know, I think one of the challenges, and I think we've talked about this before with, with the Liga MX clubs is sometimes some clubs have to adapt their mindset to kind of the global economy and how networks and how corporations and sponsorships work outside of Mexico. Um, and outside of Mexico, Liga MX clubs don't have as much leverage as they think they do. And so, um, I, you know, Univision, they know what they're doing. They have the rights for almost every League MX club, and they've been doing this for decades. Uh, they know the U.S. market better than anyone else, the Hispanic market better than anyone else. And so um, Univision definitely knows what they're willing to pay and what, Ch- what they think Chivas is worth to them. Chivas obviously disagrees and thinks that they're worth, uh, looks like, by the looks of it, looks like it's more. I think, you know, in the long term, I think Chivas will eventually seed and, you know, you know, swallow their pride and, and settle for a more reasonable uh, broadcast rights because right now on Chivas TV, it's just not going to work. I think, you know, there's definitely, when you, when you think about other clubs and properties and leagues, you know, this pivot to streaming as it's the future. Um, I don't want to say necessarily that Mexican-American, Mexican-Americans or Latino demographics are, are not early adopters to technology advances. Not saying that that's not the case. It's not. But... It's old people, bro. Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. Yeah. Think about I mean, it. Think about when you see those yeah. press releases for the NFL, and it's like we we had 35 million viewers, and it's like you look and you 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 really look into details, and it's like we had 500 people stream the 500,000 people stream the game, and it's just like it's just too small right now. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so yeah, I mean, your core base still for for these ratings in the U.S. are who, you know, they're, they're 30, they're probably over 30 years old. They're probably first, the majority of probably first generation immigrants, maybe second generation immigrants that still predominantly speak Spanish. And so a lot of these uh, folks probably just haven't pivoted to streaming or if they're, or their only concept of streaming right now is probably just Netflix, right? Or, and now potentially Disney plus or things like that. But, you know, for, for sports, you know, if you're going to watch a sporting event, if you're going to watch a Chivas match, you're probably going to watch it with your family, with your tios and your primos and, and everything. And so that, that's not a, a situation where you're going to watch it on, you know, a streaming platform. Like, hey, guys, let me, let me, déjame conectar mi Roku para ver el partido. Like, you're not going to probably see that. You're, you're probably just going to flip on Univision where you can always watch it. You know it's going to be there. You know there's going to be contacto deportivo after for the post game. Or, you know what I mean? And so I, I think 
for Chivas, yeah, I think they're going to come around pretty quick because you can't live and die off of uh, Chivas uh, TV in the U.S. Um, it's definitely a bold strategy by them, but it, if you're you're simply just trying to monetize off of subscribers, you're going to have so many people that are going to find illegal streams and cut into that potential profit. And then, as I mentioned before on Twitter too, uh, through this uh, platform that they're using, which I think was AMG Stream. My my guess is that AMG Stream is probably taking a cut of that subscriber fee because I don't think Chivas paid them up front or, or paying them a retainer or anything for, for providing that platform. So they're probably taking a cut of that, and so that's why they're charging. You know, weren't they using a, uh, some 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 subsidiary of uh, NBC Sports before? Yeah, yeah, and, and I never I never understood what happened there because uh, they made the press the press release and then you never heard anything about that afterwards. So I don't know if there was a disagreement with kind of contraction truly that people didn't agree on something, which I think is a shame because NBC Sports, you know, through Comcast, through Telemundo, uh, that would have been a great platform for Chivas. And that could have that could have potentially been the foot in the door to get back on the Telemundo. But with that now out of the picture, you know, I, I it kind of makes you wonder, you know, is are Chivas starting to burn some bridges on the US side with networks because, you know, are they coming in too too high? Are they coming in too cocky saying we demand this, we demand that? And um in terms of revenue streams, like the clubs are nothing without television partners. And so they need to come to the table and be realistic about what they're asking for, because I, I don't think it's a very sustainable model to try to live off of uh, Chivas TV unless you can really secure the fan base uh, through uh, subscribers in the U.S., provide meaningful content uh, and really make it accessible. And right now, you know, it's not accessible through, if I'm not mistaken, it's not accessible through, you know, Amazon Fire, Roku, you know, Google, Google, uh, Chrome, any of that, right? I think it's you, you just or Chromecast. They're like working on apps, or there's some workarounds, or there's an old yeah. version floating around. I mean, that's just what I see on Chivas Twitter. Like anytime a game kicks off, yeah, and then, Twitter, and then, people are complaining about it. And we, we 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 follow most of the same people that that like Chivas, and and they're still subscribing, but they're your hardcore Chivas fans, right? But how many of the what what percentage of that do you think actually make up? you know, the, the millions of Chivas fans are in the U.S. I think that's a very small percentage, right? And, if, and I'm, so, if I'm a TV network that doesn't have Chivas rights, well, guess what? I'm going to tell my, whatever Liga MX club I own the rights to, hey, you're playing a game at the same time Chivas does. I don't care if it if it hurts. Yeah, whatever exactly. Because like, if, if, if it's like, if I'm a casual fan, I turn the TV on, and I got to go collect my Roku and all this other crap, it's like, well, there's already a Liga MX game on. I'll just watch yeah. that. And the other thing, too, is, like, there's 17 games per season, right, in Apertura and Clausura, and then about half of that, seven or eight, uh, or, or eight or nine typically are home games. And so you're really paying for, you know, 16 home games a year uh, in a 12-month calendar period, right? But there's another 16 games. If you're a Chivas fan, so, that's all yeah, you get. So, you don't get league yeah. games. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And so in, in, in a lot of these cases, too, you you know, you can just say, oh, well, you know what, I, I might not watch, or if I'm going to watch the home game, I'm just going to, trying to find a legal streamer, have my friend, you know, let me use their, their login or we can watch it together or something like that. But, you know, when they play Tijuana or they play, you know, America, I know I'm going to watch it on, on Univision. Or in the case of Tijuana, it's going to be on Fox Sports. But you know what I mean? It's They're, they're still going to find the, – if I'm, if I'm not going to catch them they're, from the home game next week, they're going to be on the road and I can catch them there. And so it really dilutes that value for saying that, hey, you know, half the time I can watch Chivas, the other half I, I can't. But, it, you know, if I really want to watch them, maybe rather than pay – I'm probably just going to find uh, an illegal stream or find it elsewhere or just go to the bar if, if they hook it up there through their internet. And I've heard mixed things about their shoulder programming besides like a post-game, pre-post-game. I haven't heard – it's not like they're like NBC Sports where they're doing sports docs and all this other stuff. It's yeah. 
or they're doing a highlight show of the rest of the league. It's like there's a pregame, there's a postgame, there's probably a halftime show. And then they have what the women's games and then the the youth games on there. I don't know what else is on there. Yeah, I th- I, I, I it's gonna include stuff to the female, feminine, right? And then just maybe behind the scenes stuff. And that, and when you think about it too, that that that's high production costs, right? And so, you know, for how long are they going to want to you know make these investments in production and additional content um, if they're not you know generating enough in you know advertising or subscriber fees? Uh, where the majority of them, they're, they're really going to have to depend a lot on, on the U.S. market because it's in dollars and they can charge a little bit more uh, according to that market. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're definitely deserve credit for, for being, uh, you know, first movers in this type of market. But um, And you're starting to see some European clubs start off with their, you know, their own TV channel or their own TV uh, app. But... You know, but yeah, but all those all those networks are like Manchester TV, Arsenal TV. It's like it's explicitly Bayern like, TV, hey, yeah. these are just U twenty one games, and yeah, like yeah. a bunch of pre post game shows. You're not like, hey, I need to subscribe to this to watch games, you know? Right, right. So yeah, it, it'll. You know, I I have my my personal guess is that probably uh, by uh, by Apertura of twenty twenty, uh, you'll probably finally see them on TV again. I think they're going to see the writing on the wall that it's just not going to be sustainable. But I could be wrong, and maybe maybe it does work out. But I, I'm just very skeptical about um, you know the specific demographics that they're looking for will pivot uh, to um, to a streaming service and to pay that subscriber fee, especially when they're already paying for Netflix, if they're already paying for for other streaming services right now, and to, to have an additional expense as tight as money can be for for, for families. I, I just don't see it working in the long run. And do you think this strategy is consistent? since since uh, a couple years ago, or has it changed, or has it been accelerated since Vergara passed away and his son kind of runs the club now? Um, I think I think accelerated because, uh, you know, I think you, you, you're definitely seeing the aggressiveness with them getting uh, J.J. Macias uh, with some, some bigger name signings. I, I think Almaty definitely wants to leave his mark uh, as that, hey, this is my club now. Uh, we're going to be aggressive. We, uh, it's championships or, or nothing. And so... He's younger. He's, you know, I, I don't know how old he is. I think he's in his mid-30s maybe. So he's, you know, technically a millennial. Uh, he speaks English. Um, he networks a lot. Uh, so you would assume that we have a better understanding of the global market and of what needs to be done to really uh, gain relevance in, in the U.S. And, and, and I will say from personal knowledge that Chivas are, as, as an institution, they're definitely aware of the Mexican-American market. They're aware that they can't use the same marketing tactics and strategies in Mexico and try to replicate that in the U.S. They know that they have, a, they have to have a different and tailored message there. And so um, I, I think they need to have the right type of partners and the right boots on the ground um, in, in the U.S. to do that. So I, I think what I would be on the lookout for them is if they follow the Club America model and um, start like a branch, a satellite office, uh, or an official USA headquarters, whether that be in Dallas or in LA. When's that uh, English Twitter account coming, man? I mean, yeah, that, that's probably step one, right? I, I know that I know that they're trying to do that right now. I, I know that from from knowledge that they they've been trying to look for the right person to do that. But you know, when it comes down to it, um, it's an investment, and I think we've talked about this before. Even the the largest clubs in LMX, sometimes they're really you know they can be codos with their with their wallets because. Um, they won't invest in something unless they see an immediate return or they're used to 
uh, they've been kind of mal acostumbrados, especially with friendly matches over the last 10, 15 years, is that they're used to just the money coming to them. The people say, hey, we're going to pay you this amount of money to play in the U.S., here's guaranteed cash, and that's all they're used to where they don't have to necessarily put any work into it. But now the model's changing. You're, you're going to start to see a fewer and fewer friendly matches in the U.S., and so you're going to have to start to look for different revenue streams. You're not going to just be able to rely on Tecate to do your marketing strategy in the U.S. You're going to have to really start to branch out and you're going to have to, to adapt to the changing Mexican-American demographic um, that, uh, you know, you're going to have Mexican-American hipsters that drink craft brew uh, or craft beer, excuse me, and, and uh, that have different tastes than what their, you know, immigrant parents did. And so Chivas has to learn to identify that and start to look at for new partnerships in the U.S. And so to do that, that's going to take time and effort and money. Uh, and so the question at hand is, are they willing to, you know, really see that and say, okay, if we do this now, we may not see an immediate return on our money, but we're kind of planting the seeds and we're starting to strategize so that in 5, 10, 15 years, as we start to see these generational changes, you know, we can start to, to really start to bear, uh, see the fruits of our labors uh, and start to really see that, that money in the long term. And so with that being said, you know, when we're talking about Chivas and America, I'm still more bullish on their market potential than, say, Bayern Munich, which is doing a great job right now based out of New York. But as, as you probably have talked about and as you're, maybe we were going to discuss, look at Bundesliga TV ratings in the U.S. They're averaging you know, less than 100,000. I think last year they were averaging about 60,000 uh, viewers per game, and that's being on Fox Sports or FS1 or FS2. And, so, and that's even for, for the, their classic, right, with uh, – um, with Bayern Munich and, and Borussia, you're still not getting any, any relevant ratings there. And so um, as rich and powerful as Bayern Munich and Borussia and, and, and all these other German clubs are, they're still, you know, not moving the needle in the U.S. And they've invested millions of dollars uh, in, in that marketing push. And they've made some inroads, but the low-hanging fruit are these, you know, Chivas, America, Cruz Azul, Pumas um, that need to act now or else, in the future, 5, 10, 15 years, these Mexican-Americans are like, you know what, they don't speak my language anymore, I don't, I don't relate to them, I'm going to follow either an MLS club, or maybe I'll start following a Bundesliga club, because they actually approach me, they actually try to speak to me in, in my language, and, and they're fun to follow, and they interact with me, you know, so now the time to actually get back. It's funny, because we talked about MLS earlier, and like, how they're trying to go after, I feel like MLS is just going after these millennials, going hard with their... Yeah. Every club, I feel like, has a craft beer sponsorship. Every club is trying actively social media. You know, they understand the memes and stuff like that. It might seem minor, but, you know, a good meme gets shared a bunch of other people. You have your club logo on there, stuff like that. And I feel like MLS is doing, like, their ratings aren't super great. Like, we talked about they're less than 300,000 per, per, you know, per game. But they skew so young compared to yeah. other leagues and, uh, Especially like we talked about the NFL things like that, and I feel like Liga MX is kind of like our our deals and everything. Like older generation love Liga MX, but maybe the kids, hey, Chicharitos with Galaxy, let me check out the Galaxy. And hey, I can stream stuff. ESPN Plus sounds pretty nice. It's five bucks a month, you yeah. know. And to kind of, to kind of tie into what you just talked about Bundesliga, but the Bundesliga is going to ESPN Plus starting next fall. Right. So and, and and I think they're getting they're going to get 30 million per year in the U.S. for ESPN Plus, which is when you when you compare that to League MX and MLS and EPL, which is nothing. But at least 
they're comp they're comfortable with that for now because at least they have stability. They're going to get featured more on ESPN through ESPN Plus, but they have a better partner. They feel as opposed to Fox Sports, they were pretty disappointed with. Uh, oh, they Fox were they were spare, they talked a lot. Like their their president came there. Like when I think one of their presidents came to yeah, New yeah. York and was talking about how they're not happy with Fox and and uh, going through the the ratings for MLS for this podcast. You know, average viewers is two hundred around two hundred seventy thousand per game. The the average for Fox is lower. They just yeah. they just don't know what they're doing. Like I'm a big wrestling fan. I watch Fox for five minutes. I see I see them promoting WWE SmackDown all the damn time. I saw a wrestler in the in the Thursday night booth with Joe Buck talking about wrestling. They haven't done shit yeah. for MLS. They just and I and if if it wasn't for me following Chicharito when he signed when he was with the uh, Leverkusen. How the hell? Am I, how the hell would I even know that Bundesliga was on Fox? Like it's it's right. a shame. And even if you if you delve even deeper, uh, that great website World Talker Talk, they always talk about ratings and yep. th- they cover ratings yep. and things like that. They had an article showing how many press releases Fox has put out promoting their their Bundesliga coverage. I don't think they put out a press release in the last eighteen months. Yeah, it's, I it's mean, been, and, and you know, yeah. companies like to pump out those press releases like it's nothing. Right. So I'd, yeah. I'd be really curious to see how they, how they do on ESPN Plus. I'm happy. I love ESPN Plus, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I know. And, and, you know, Serie A is also going to be on ESPN Plus. And so, uh, you know, like I said, I'm there's a lot of op- a lot of people are buying in right now on streaming on, on that pivot for the future of broadcasting sports that everything's going to be streaming. I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm skeptical, but I'm definitely more on the side of wait and see what's going to happen uh, because I'm still kind of just, I don't know how many people are, are going to make that that uh, migration, at least in the next five years. And so I don't know if they're really banking. But it's definitely on an investment, you know. Yeah, it's definitely an investment. So I think maybe you know, are they really depending on these, you know, up and you know these, uh, you know, what's after millennials now? What is it, Generation? Uh, uh, I, just I don't even know what the category is. I don't know. Yeah, but you know, the, the generation after millennials, you know, a portion of millennials, and then the generation right after them, maybe that's who they're really focusing on, saying that this is our future viewership our future viewers and so everything's going to be on streaming or maybe they're maybe these you know big conglomerates are trying to force us now to adapt and and get used to this this is the future you know what I mean? maybe the, this is something that they're kind of shoving down our our our, our throats I, for me personally i'm more of a watching it over network tv or cable so i'm kind of old-fashioned maybe in that way so maybe that's explains but why the thing I with I espn plus is like like you said, 90, 95% of Bundesliga games and uh, yeah. Serie A games are going to be on ESPN+. Plus. But, hey, we have ESPN. We have ESPN2. You know, a big game, uh, Juventus versus uh, Lozano and Napoli. Hey, let's put it on ESPN. It's, yeah, you know, exactly. in the morning and no one's going to – we have nothing else to put on there. And, you know, that's – but another thing to remember is, like, this is, like – this is just tertiary income for these com- for Bundesliga. You know, they get this isn't like they're counting yeah, on exactly. these thirty million dollars. You know, yeah, Things exactly. Like and and, and I, but I, I think at the end of the day, though, I think they're they're probably disappointed though because uh, maybe I, I think everyone looks all the soccer clubs outside of the U.S. look at the U.S. as this gold mine that okay we need to tap this market because there's so much potential and yes that's true there is a lot of potential and, and I've had these conver- I had this conversation with a lot of folks uh, from across the, the pond. Uh, at SoccerX, where many people were thinking, as soon as we come here, friendly matches are going to come, the cash is going to roll in, we're going to get all these sponsors and, and et cetera. But you know, that's not really that's not the reality. They 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 don't they gotta understand put in work. They, 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 they have to, to be, they have to put yeah. in work. 
you have to you have to invest a lot, um, and then you're competing with so much, so many other properties. You're competing with the NFL. You're competing with college football. You're competing with uh, with NBA, with MLB, uh, with NHL, with uh, NCAA basketball during March Madness. So there's so many offerings here in the U.S. that you have to compete with all of them. And you have to, you know, there's only so much re- broadcast uh, rights, uh, you know, revenue that that can be shared. Uh, across the board. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of clubs and properties are starting to realize that, um, you know, I, I had a conversation with, with someone who's very closely uh, in the loop on, on what's going on with Bayern Munich uh, and kind of with Bundesliga clubs in the U.S. And I asked them, I'm like, you know, I think Bayern Munich has been in uh, the U.S. for maybe five or six years now in the New York office. And I asked them, you know, you know, from my vantage point, they haven't really generated any revenue here in the U.S., right? Like, and he said, no, they probably lost millions of dollars. They still haven't returned. Uh, they haven't recovered their initial investment here, and and that makes sense considering, you know, if you look at Bayern Munich right now, is there any national sponsor that comes to mind in the U.S. that's an official, you know, Bayern Munich USA sponsor? I, I can't think of a single one. And so, um, and then when we talk about right now with broadcast, uh, with ratings, right? They're averaging sixty thousand. Or, or, or minutes uh, for TV rights over the last few years. And so they're definitely not generating the income from broadcast rights. I don't see any major sponsors in the U.S. The only real income that has probably come here is potentially from their, their uh, local chapter fan clubs that they have throughout the country, uh, which is you know minimal because if you're just paying like annual dues and things like that, and you're talking about maybe a few hundred people per, per chapter, and then uh, just whenever they're involved in the ICC. So they're making a few million dollars for participating in those tournaments, but that's probably just going straight to headquarters in, uh, in, uh, in Germany, right? And so Bayern Munich, obviously, they probably recognize that, and, but they're still probably bullish on the U.S. market and, and trying to do their best and trying to invest. I think same with Barcelona, which has a New York office. PSG has a New York office. Um, IJAX has a New York office as well. And then I think Eintracht uh, Frankfurt just op- opened up a U.S. office in, in New York as well. And yep. so, um, you know, uh, and then Club America had an office in, in uh, New York, which actually happened to be basically a few cubicles in, in the Univision uh, offices in, in their, uh, their building in, uh, in Manhattan. But they actually closed that down recently. And so they're, uh, they're looking at relocating uh, in L.A. And, and on the West Coast, which makes a lot more sense uh, for me because, um, if they're really trying to capture sponsorship and, and really understand the market, it's got to be in a place where there's more Mexican-Americans and where they can really have a better pulse of, of that market. And so um, it's kind of a long ramble, but just it just shows that the U.S. soccer market is really complicated, but the only real league that has it, the only two leagues that has a chance to really capitalize it is number one, League MX, because of their existing fan base and their relevance in the market and then MLS, but they're a little bit uh, further behind. But like I said, if League MX doesn't do anything, then MLS will eventually overtake them. And, and it brings me back to, to uh, I don't know if you heard or not, Enrique Bonilla, Bonilla made a few comments uh, earlier this week that he said administratively League MX is one of the top five leagues in, in, in the world. And I just, I, I read that and I just, I just started laughing because I, That's I, a I, fucking joke. I, I, don't, I don't know how that's... Uh, I don't know how that's possible in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, so that just kind of shows you there. Okay, if Liga MX thinks that internally, and we see what the reality is as fans and as people that have followed the league for many years, uh, that there's definitely a disconnect there. And if you wonder about all the issues and problems they're having, 
now you see why. Yeah, that's just a joke, man. Uh, it just frustrates me. Like, it's just so many missed opportunities. And uh, you talked about um, the Premier League. They're the only ones, like, they're averaging a little under 500 last season. For the last full season, 2018-2018, they averaged a little under 500,000 viewers per game, which is pretty good. NBC's paying them. NBC signed a six-year billion-dollar deal with them. So, you know, that that still kind of pales in comparison to, like, the big Liga MX games. Liga MX games, but you also have to remember the time slots. These are on at 9, 10, 11, noon, you know, central time. So it's it's not like they're prime-time games, you know. But, but you know what, though? I you know I don't know the answer to this, but I kind of feel, though, with EPL that the majority of their fans are watching at those times anyway, if that makes sense. Like, I, I don't know how much of a change. Let's say EPL games on Saturdays were starting to be played at, you know, at 3 o'clock Eastern time or 4 o'clock Eastern time. Would there be a significant bump? I To be honest, I, I don't know. I mean, I think... I don't think so, and it's like a perfect... It's a perfect property for NBC... Because what else are you going to show that early in the morning, you know? Yeah, exactly. It, it, all these games lead into, hey, after this game, stick around for Notre Dame versus USC or stick around for some yeah. Big East basketball game, you know? Like, it's it's such a perfect property for them. It's just – and then, like, any, you know, all these English clubs – because NBC does a good job of showing every game, every club. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah they're, they're, I'll, they're, I'll watch they're, a Bournemouth game, you know, if it's on yeah. noon on a Saturday. They, they do they do a great production job. I mean, credit to them. But, I, again, their challenge, again, too, is, you know, if if they had the ability to show, especially, you know, between August and, you know, early December, if they had an opportunity to show games, start showing games like at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock Eastern time, um, that'd, be, that'd spell trouble because now you're starting to compete directly against Alabama versus Auburn or USC and Stanford, you know, in the middle of the day. And, you know, if you're – in the U.S., unless you're a soccer-first consumer uh, that doesn't follow Liga MX, you know, again, so now you're starting to, 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 to go down that, start to filter down. You have the, the your, your soccer fan, soccer-first uh, crowd in the U.S., right? But only a small percentage of that really follows EPL, and a, sm- a percentage of that follows Liga MX first, and a, a percentage of that follows a different league, right? And so that general market, you can't just count on all them because it's such a fragmented market, and that's what makes it so difficult for, for soccer properties to, to really understand the U.S. is because, you know, if, there, if there's 100 million soccer fans, not all of them are going to follow your league or have any interest in them, only a, a percentage of that. I just think uh, NBC is, in, in a way, how other networks aren't maximized. I think NBC, like we talked about Fox kind of dropping the ball with their properties. I feel like NBC gets everything they can out of their properties. They do such a good job of just, from a rating standpoint, they know, hey, this game, Arsenal United, big game. Let's put it on regular NBC. You know, it's just such a great job. And uh, and the complete opposite of that would be being sports with La Liga. I yep. hate this deal so much. And their ratings are terrible. Their ratings. But, yeah, you're <sighs> right. And, and, and it's not just La Liga, but Liga Un, too. Liga Un, uh, they've been very disappointed with uh, with uh, prominence or relevance in the U.S. market, and they've they've been quoted uh, saying that that they need that BN needs to do a better job. But the problem is, though, both for Liga Un and La Liga, is they're making billions of dollars outside of the U.S. because of their relationship with BN, because they're they they're paying for the domestic rights in Spain and in France for those leagues. They're paying over billion dollars, which uh, so that right 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 there alone that's a valuable partner for them, right? And then they're probably selling it for, for millions of dollars 
uh, in China and, and other key markets. And so you can't say to them, hey, you're paying us billions of dollars to broadcast our, our games you know, in, in all these markets, but you suck here in the U.S., so we need to go with another partner. You can't really do that to them, right? And so yeah, but kinda... why, why was the, the why was the La Liga president saying just that months before they extended their contract for another four years <laughs> in the U.S. He was specifically yeah, talking about they, the U.S. and I was like, that's weird. Yeah, I I mean, you know, Tebas has said a lot of weird things, right? And so, um, you know, and maybe it's just to kind of just get some leverage for them, but you know, they're kind of both La Liga and Liga are kind of have their their hands tied behind their backs they they really don't have much of a choice if they if they were to have gone you know the espn plus route or uh univision or or uh you know uh espn or something like that um how would that look from the how, how would that tarnish the the bn uh relationship because there's probably not going to be another partner outside of bn globally that would pay them the same amount of money that they're making now and then with league on it's even a even more incestuous relationship because yeah who, because, who owns the biggest team in france yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah and then that's that's then that's a, that's a really interesting relationship too because based on there was a, uh an article from uh the philadelphia Inquirer by uh, jonathan uh tannenwald. Jonathan tannenwald yep yeah so which i thought was a great article he wrote uh, in, about six months ago where he said basically yeah, he's a great playing. follow he's a great follow for the tv yeah. tv deals and stuff like that yeah yeah uh so he uh he wrote in the article that uh, BN, among, uh, in addition to a few other networks in France, were paying over a billion dollars for domestic rights for Liga 1 in France, but that BN is paying over about $80 million, not for the U.S. market, but just everywhere else. So a smaller percentage of that they were paying just for the U.S. So if you can imagine Liga 1 making $80 million total outside of, 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 of France, that just kind of shows you how you know the the the, the, own, the own issues that excuse me league own issues for relevance outside of uh, France and a lot has to do just because it's such a top heavy league right and 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 really when top heavy it's really just PSG and so um, they have to rely heavily on them to really perform and with their struggles in um, in the Champions League for not for not getting over that hump um, that's definitely been been hampering uh, the growth and development of Liga and. It would have been interesting to see if Chicharito went there and signed with like Leon or something else. <laughs> yeah, right. Trying to yeah, find yeah, some yeah, bullets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that, that would have been, you know, so you probably read that, that article from The Athletic about how the deal went down for Chicharito to the Galaxy. I'm really curious to see who that French club was because. Um, it's only like two or three can afford him, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you wonder, you know, as you had just mentioned right now with uh, what, how Wolves has definitely done a great job of uh, capitalizing on, on Raul Jimenez. You know, had he gone to Olympic Marseille or if he gone to Lyon or, you know, even PSG or something like that, what would they have done? Would they have followed that same model as Wolves and Leverkusen when Chicharito was there where, where they did kind of a, a whole thing around Dia de los Muertos for Chicharito and, and they did a great job as well. But would, would these friends, would these Liga and clubs do the same thing? Do they have that same, you know, forward thinking uh, capturing the market quickly, and so I think it would have been really cool to see Chicharito in Liga and to see what he could have done there. But um, now we'll just have to wait and see how he does in MLS. I have a pretty good idea of who it was. It was probably uh, Leon, just because Memphis Dubai, they're a big scorer. He's out for the year with the torn ACL, so uh, <laughs> it had to. I mean, that's who I think it would have been. You know, in that same article by uh, Tannenwald, did you read the section where he's, because four French clubs came over to the U.S. to play a couple friendlies in uh, Washington? Yep. yep. None of them brought any merch. Did you see that? Right. 
Yeah, I did see that. Yep. None of and, them brought any merch to sell. And, and not just that, though. Um, I think the attendance was just super, super poor. terrible. It was terrible. And, and, but I mean, can you really? What 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 would you expect? It was uh, I, I I don't even remember what the clubs now that like that went. I think uh I think one was Bordeaux, right? And then yeah, um, it wasn't PSG. So right, so, yeah, basically, well, yeah, it wasn't PSG. And so to go, you know, I I, I think League One, I think they learned from that, and I think they're going to be more strategic again about it if it happens again. And PSG has to be the anchor club no matter what if they're going to do anything there, and it would have to be really probably. PSG, Lyon, Marseille, uh, and maybe Bordeaux. And the reason why I say Bordeaux is just because they have an American ownership. And so... Uh, yeah, and real quick, I... the American ownership. There's a lot of American owners now in the big five clubs or big five leagues in Europe now. Right, yeah, yeah. That's and... another reason why they keep a lot of these teams come back to America because their owners, hey, I live in America. I want to see my team. So yeah. like Liverpool, they're owned by the Boston people. Yeah. And then with Manchester United too, with the Glazer family, right? And so, um, and then uh, who else? Rocco Camisso, who owns uh, Fiorentina now in Serie A. Uh, uh, Roma. You have, uh, Roma. Now that was just bought uh, was bought by was bought by an American who bought it from another American, Roma. And then mm-hmm. you have Mallorca with uh, the minority ownership group with uh, well, actually majority ownership with Robert with Sarver, who owns the Phoenix Suns. But then you have Sue Holden, and then. Steve Nash, and so um, you know, there's def- and, and these are people that poten- could have been potential owners in MLS, right? But maybe they they realize that we like what we see in Europe. We feel that we can, you know, apply best practices from what we've learned in the U.S. and start applying it in in, in Europe and and increase our revenues there and, and create a global brand. And so um, I'm 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 more interested to see what American owners do in uh, in Europe as opposed to what owners do here in MLS because it's the closed system. So you know what to expect, but you know, with the right amount of investment and, you know, applying potentially American uh, marketing principles or other best practices from communication standpoint, press, uh, you know, marketing, commercial stuff like that. um, It'll be interesting to see, you know, Bordeaux can make more of a jump and more relevance in Liga 1 through uh, Joe DeGrosa, who's actually coincidentally there, all his ownership group is also the owners of soccer X. Um, but then also with Roma and, uh, you know, we've seen what happened with what they've been with Liverpool, of course, Manchester United, of course, so that there's no surprises there, but, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Fiorentina and Mallorca, if they're able to stay in the first division. So, um, I'm, I'm definitely, I've definitely been following what's going on with American ownership uh, groups in, in the U S. Oh, and Frank McCourt, of course, the former Dodgers owner. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in league as well. Uh, we talked about Beckham at the beginning of the episode, and just to let people know how crazy his contract was with the MLS, he signed a five-year deal with MLS. I think he was paid like five or six mil plus a bunch of like marketing stuff, so he made more than five mil. But at the end of his contract, he had the option to buy an MLS expansion club for twenty or twenty-five million dollars. Yep. Yep. And at the time that he exercised that deal, I think NYCFC was just paying was just like be about to become an expansion team for $100 million. Right. So just think about that. He paid 20 or $25 million for, an, for the rights to an MLS club. Right. And, and he, now he, it's worth minimum a couple hundred million dollars. Yeah. And, and he's so done in nothing. Hind, <laughs> yeah. In, in hindsight, that's a great deal. But you can imagine, though, that risk that he was taking back then because MLS was still barely awakening out of that. Oh, yeah. Death, right? just, so, his, his deal saved the league. As a, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
but 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 still, that was a tremendous risk that he was undertaking. I mean, have you ever been with a friend that says, "Hey, I promise you, I'll pay you fifty bucks down the road by helping with this, or I'll, I'll pay you on the back end," and you're like, uh, "Yeah, sure," and things just don't work out. And so that's kind of that same situation is where you like, you know, sure, I'll have an MLS franchise that's worth you know nothing at that time. I think around that time when he had entered the league, I think RSL had just paid around uh, a few years five or that. ten, about yeah, I think it was like <laughs> seven million dollars for the franchise. Yeah. So you think. So at that point, probably MLS franchise is probably worth about twenty million, and so he's probably thinking, "This isn't a really good deal for me." But you know, who knows where MLS is going to be in ten, fifteen years? But now, if you think about, you know, eventually when he decides to to sell his shares, you know, he's he made quite a fortune just from that deal. So it was definitely worth it. But I, I definitely a lot of risk on his end. But at the same time, though, he was already a millionaire. So how much risk do you would you say? You know, if, if he was if he had nothing and he made that bet not the different story, but he was already a millionaire. So it probably wasn't as big of a risk or, or he, maybe he didn't think about it as, as, as much as he should have. It's just a crazy ass deal to think about in retrospect, how I heard he had a, an extra deal with MLS on the side, but it wasn't until a couple years after he retired. And it's like, Hey, he has four or five years from when he retires to exercise this right. And I'm just like, wow, $25 million yeah. at the same time that NYCFC was paying a hundred million dollars. I was like, this guy is going to, and it was a perfect deal for him. Granted, I think yeah. I think inner inner FC Miami or whatever the hell they call it, I think they're going to be a dumpster fire this year because they're playing in what like a refurbished stadium, and then they don't have their stadium for two more years, and they didn't end up signing any of their big mega stars that they were rumored for the last two years. So right. I don't know, but still a great contract for him and his uh, his agents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's going to be hard for them to replicate what Atlanta United did. I think maybe. maybe Maybe they do go that route. Maybe they do have success. But if you if you promise at the beginning of the season or before you ever even launch that we're going to have big name signings, you know people are going to latch onto that. So um, people are expecting that and they want to see big names. So maybe they pull something out of their hat uh, in the, the next few weeks and they get like an Ed, Edison Cavani or um, you know Paulo Guerrero just to have him play for a year or two before he retires. Who knows? But I I I think in the long term though I think. They're going to be an interesting, uh, interesting club to follow. And I think that there will be some instant rivalries there with Orlando and even Atlanta just because of the Southeast connection. Um, real quick, last thing. Well, think, if you let me know if you want to talk about anything else, but um, I just want to go back to League MX. Uh, what are your thoughts on Fox Sports getting the rights to Cholos and Monterrey? How do you think they're doing? You know, I, I to be honest, I haven't checked the ratings on how they've been doing ratings-wise in the U.S. Um, I know that that which is good. FS1 has done an FS2. Uh, they've, they've made a greater push to get them broadcast in English, which I think is good. Um, from the Fox, from the Spanish side, um, there's definitely been a lot of investment, which is good to see. You see Rodolfo Landeros and uh, Lagunas traveling to Torreón for their home games, and I think Monterey as well, and even Tijuana. And so I think, I think that's a positive sign. That means that they're not giving up. Uh, on, on, on those properties and they're, they're really trying to take the time to really make it a big deal. And so I, I think it's still too early to see. I think they're for Cholos, it's only the second year that they're in. Uh, I think it's in the first year for Santos, for Santos Laguna uh, or is it Rayados. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, again, you're, you're trying to, from the English side, you're trying to train people, hey, you can listen to us in English now. From the Spanish side, it's getting them used to listening to different voices than you're used to on Univision or Televisa or even Azteca America from back in the day. And so um, 
it all depends on accessibility too. I, I think Fox Deportes uh, isn't available on, a, so for example, for my package, I don't have Fox Deportes and I have, uh, I think I have like a third, second or third tier package that has additional channels, but I think I have to pay like an additional $15 just to have Fox uh, Deportes, but I have ESPN and everything else. And so uh, I think accessibility can be an issue and that could definitely affect ratings depending on you know, whether you have, you know, Comcast like I do, or, you know, if you have Dish TV or DirecTV or another cable program or cable system. Being sports isn't in, isn't on Comcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, one of the, that's another big reason why the ratings are terrible for La Liga and Liga because a lot of, is, I would safe to say that they're one of the two biggest cable providers in the country. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't get, you can't get, uh, yeah, you can't get being sports, so. Just yeah, kind of I mean, frustrating. Yeah, and that and that's again that goes back to uh, you know the issues with La Liga and Liga One is that some of them don't understand kind of the situation with the carrier rights, the carriage rights here, and that BN's trying and and again it comes down to probably BN trying to charge more than than they're actually worth or what uh, these providers are, are willing to pay. And that's the same thing again going back to college sports with Pac-12 networks that are not on Directv. Because and they haven't been on Directv and we're going on uh, eight years now, uh, and so that that's. Limiting. I'm sorry, but the, the the commissioner for the Pac-12 should be fired. He has done a terrible <laughs> job. I'm a little a little tangent here. That man, yeah. oh my god! Like you like we talked about at the beginning of the pilot, how these schools are getting like 15, 20 million dollars. That's terrible. I think I think Illinois got like 40 million dollars from the Big Ten Network last year. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you you have to you have to think too. Like you know, it's different cultures. Big Ten country is much different from Pac-12 country, where you know definitely the West Coast is more laid back. You have a lot of more transplants too, so you don't have necessarily a lot of you know born and raised and generational you know families that have followed the same school. While you know when you think about the Big Ten, you think about the Rust Belt, and you think about uh, you know that large community that have, you know, had football for over hundred plus years. And so I think the cultures and the same thing with SEC, right? So the same different types of cultures where you have, you know, since, you know, generations and generations following a specific school and you just, it's just a different lifestyle on the West coast. And I think that's reflective with, you know, ratings for college sports with PAC 12 and also just, you know, when you, when the PAC 12 championship game, which is played in San Francisco, um, and so with, with poor attendance for those games. And so the West Coast is just a different animal for, for collegiate sports. Um, and so to me, it's not really surprising, but it's definitely been a frustration for trackball fans that, that are limited in, in being able to watch uh, their teams play if it's on Pac-12 networks or if it's on the uh, on another channel that, that doesn't have much distribution. Have you seen how, what CBS pays for their SEC package a year? Have you seen how that's like the greatest deal in like all yeah. sports? Well, are you talking about the, the new? Are you talking about the new one or no? The the one, that, the one that's uh, like going to expire next year or something. The one yeah. where they're paying fifty-five million dollars a million, year. Yep. Oh my yep. god. Just, just just to air what is it like 15 17 conference games a year yeah so, insane. yeah but i mean yeah but it makes sense though football's king here still and yeah, so yeah. uh and they, they bank on those auburn alabama games or auburn you know yeah. georgia games in, in the on saturday afternoons and, and they've made a killing off of it and so sec now wants more money and so it looks like espn potentially is, is willing to pony that money up um in the next broadcast rights deal and uh 
So that that'll be interesting to see. Um, I think I think they're reportedly they're looking at paying over three hundred about three hundred million dollars a year. Yeah. Or sorry, maybe not a year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three hundred million dollars a year from uh, from ESPN and and ESPN does a great job. ESPN and ABC with with the college football programming. So um, I don't think it would really be a drop off at all for SEC or college football fans. Okay, a couple couple more things I want to ask you before I let you go. Is uh, are you still still doing the Facebook English stuff? For their games or they stopped that um i think no i think they stopped that uh they have it uh i know that they've been streaming a lot of games through through the na extra because i know they're still doing games in english but um i really haven't seen any promotions on uh facebook live because they've switched platforms so to be honest i i i typically what well, actually i never watch games uh, liam x games in english I'm, I'm used to just watching in spanish and so for me i'll never change um so i haven't paid as much attention to what games are uh, what games are actually being broadcast in English, but I think a lot of them are, are being featured, but I think there are most of them are on the Tuden Extra, which has now actually become available on Comcast to me, and so before, before I think last month, I didn't have it, so I, I never was able to, to try to just look at what it was about anyway. Yeah, I, I watched it in the beginning, and then I kind of got away from it, <clears throat> but I mean, it was still kind of nice, but um, yeah, the Mexican national team, what is their TV rights looking like right now? Is it still split in, up in the U? Are you talking about in the U.S.? The U- yeah, in the U.S. In the U.S. Yeah. So uh, in the U.S., there's really not that much info. So some soccer and marketing. So they have the commercial rights for the Mexican national team in the U.S. That includes basically everything except licensing and uh, broadcast rights. So the FMF brought, uh, negotiates their own broadcast rights with. Um, so for the World Cup cycle, it's typically for home games. It's uh, Univision, which also includes their friendly matches uh, in Spanish. Uh, and then whenever they're playing World Cup qualifiers outside of Mexico, those games are usually on Telemundo. Uh, so Telemundo usually brokers individual uh, rights with those confederate with uh, those national confederations, like with Honduras and El Salvador and stuff like that. But um, I've never, I've never been able to find any solid information on what those rights are going for. So, I, to be honest, I yeah, me neither. I, I couldn't either. I was asking maybe you knew something that's yeah. That's that's a pretty close, closely kept, uh, closely held secret. But I, I mean, uh, I guess it's dumb to speculate. But I, I wouldn't think that it'd be on an annual basis. If you if you include the friendly games, I mean, I, I'd probably guess somewhere in like the ten million dollar range per year. I, I wouldn't yeah, think it'd be that. Maybe a little bit more during the World Cup qualifying, maybe. Sure, but... sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, especially because, yeah, if, you, if you're playing, you know, uh, obviously they, they don't make any money off the road games. That That's the, the home federation. But if you're playing, you know, five five or so games for World Cup qualifying and then another five games, you know, for their some friendly matches in the U.S. So, yeah, probably over $10 million. I feel like I'm forgetting one thing. Is there anything else you want to bring up? Uh, no, I mean, I, I feel like I kind of blabbered on uh, with long-winded answers for some things, but um, I mean, just yeah, I mean, the, it's definitely an interesting time to be a follower of Liam X. I mean, you have you know what's going on with with the Chicharito. You know, I think all the people talking about the retirement league stuff, and you know, is this best decision for him? I think the same conversation would have would have been have people would have been having if had he chosen Chivas instead of Galaxy. So I, I think from a marketing standpoint, from a maximizing his wealth standpoint. LA Galaxy was the way to go, um, and I think uh, it's definitely going to help MLS in the long run. Chivas TV, like I said, I think by uh, apertura of, of later on this year, uh, you'll probably see them back on TV. 
Uh, that's just an, an uneducated guess by me. I, I could definitely be wrong there. Um, but I think over the next year or so, what I'm really looking forward to from a League MX standpoint in the U.S. to see, you know, what's going to happen um, long-term for these clubs. Are some of these clubs finally going to start to, you know, have, you know, satellite offices in the U.S. and really start to move and try to capitalize on the Mexican-American market? I think in the, in the, in the short, short, short of the long-term now, five to ten years, what's the future of League MX? Uh, so, you know, with the League's Cup, there's been more integration between the two leagues. There's been talk about, uh, you know, possible merger. In my personal opinion, I think that's probably the thing that Liga MX needs to try to make happen as soon as possible at some point because in, you know, 5, 10 years, 15 years, eventually MLS is going to, you know, overcome Liga MX on, on, the, on the pitch. They've already, they're already light years away ahead of Liga MX from the commercial standpoint, sponsorship, broadcast. A production, a communications, marketing, everything. The only thing that MLS is missing when compared against MLS or League MX is the on-field product and winning Champions League. And so once MLS starts to do that, goodbye League MX. They're going to be an irrelevant league outside of its own country. They're just going to be a domestic league, and, and that's it. No one's really going to care outside of Mexico about that league. And so um, I think League MX um, really needs to try to find a way to, to hitch on to the MLS wagon to create some type of a super – uh, North American league, but uh, as you can imagine, there's just going to be, I think there's just too many obstacles to overcome. Uh, for one with MLS, you have um, single entity. So now you have to break up that, that uh, cartel, so to speak. And now you have to introduce these other clubs and you have to start to maneuver the new broadcast rights agreements, which would actually be tremendously greater in value. So it's actually a good thing, but you'd have to now broker new agreements now because of what, the MLS owners originally agreed to get into, and now it's completely changed. So that that could be a challenge, but I think that could be manageable. From the Liga MX side, though, you have such a powerful influence with Televisa, with America, with Chivas, with the big clubs, and for them to break apart from what they're used to, from 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 looking after their own best interests, to to get over the legal hurdles, also with collective with the the players' union from the MLS side. I just see too many ha too many hoops to jump through that I, I think it would be impossible. But I think uh, for League MX, it's their best route for survival and relevance and profitability and sustainability. But for MLS, they're going to get to a point where uh, they're going to be like, you know what, League MX, we actually don't need you anymore. And peace. No more League's Cup. No more uh, having all these games. You know, the Copa de, the Campeón de Campeones and the Super Copa MX. Uh, we're not going to, we, there's no need to have that in the U.S. anymore because, you know, we don't need you guys anymore. We, we got our Mexican-American demographic. We got this and that. And so it'll be interesting to see over the next, you know, five, six years before the, the 2026 World Cup. I think the landscape's going to change a lot, and uh, it's going to be definitely fun fun to see what happens. Um, I did remember what I was going to bring up. Uh, the Mexican national team, FMF, what is their relationship? Is it deepening with, with uh, Soccer United marketing? Is it you, – you see that becoming more entrenched as we get closer to 2026? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, I think for some, it's definitely a cash cow involving the uh, Mexican national team. Uh, some is definitely investing in a lot more types of activation before and after the games. Uh, as you saw probably for last year in Dallas, they had a fan fest the day before a match. I think they're going to do that again in Dallas. And they have a contract to play at least one game in Dallas for the next several years. And so um, I, don't, I don't see that relationship changing 
any soon, at least before the 2026 World Cup. Um, and I, I, what I'm more interested to see is, um, you know, Sun's involvement with uh, the the 2026 World Cup. So they obviously stepped in and helped a lot with um, the Copa Centenario, which obviously had a few hiccups, but um, I think some is definitely uh, becoming more influential in the global landscape, uh, especially with Gianni Infantino. Um, there's definitely a lot of respect for uh, globally for what MLS is doing, not necessarily on the pitch, but commercially. A lot of clubs are interested in in, um, in what they're doing from a communication standpoint, commercial standpoint, and so a lot has to do with with what some have done over the last several years and their experience in handling uh, the Mexican national team, and so. Um, I think that relationship is still strong, and um, I think it'll continue to be strong uh, for the next few years. But um, after 2026, I think that's when you'll start to see more demographic generational changes. Uh, and at that point, you'll see, okay, some might be like, okay, do we still need the Mexican national team to accomplish our goals for MLS? And if not, then we'll start doing other things. But if, if we still need them, then we'll keep going. And so at that point, if, if we, if, FMF loses out on them, you know, who do they go? Does, does relevant sports come calling and try to take over that relationship or does that happen sooner than 2026? Um, like I said, my, my sense, my personal opinion, I think some continues that relationship with FMF through 2026 at minimum and beyond that, who knows? It's just such a weird relationship because the people who own some are essentially the MLS owners. It's just, it's just right. a weird dynamic, you know, it's just like, it's in a way MLS owners are very influential over the Mexican national team. <laughs> right, right. In a weird, twisted way, it just blows my mind. Um, relevant is this the same relevant sports that's suing FIFA and U.S. Soccer for not letting them have a La Liga it game is. in the Florida? <laughs> it is, it is, it is. And so, and there, and there's actually, uh, yeah. So, I mean, relevant sports are trying to do a lot of things, right? They're trying to do the La Liga. They have that, they have that partnership with them for the next 10, 15 years in the U.S. Um, and then uh, Charlie, uh, the, the CEO um, of Relevant Sports, um, he there was an article that just came out. I, I haven't read it yet. I think it came out yesterday or the day before that. They want to basically increase the importance of that, the ICC tournament. So I didn't read the article, so I didn't know what they're looking at. But my initial thoughts are, you know, if it's going to be more than a glorified tournament or glorified friendly tournament, then you need to start to change you know, the, either the incentives or you need to try to incorporate it somehow in the middle of the season. And, and it's, it'd be impossible to do that in, in, in the United States. You're not going to be able to have all these teams travel, these clubs travel across, you know, the Atlantic Ocean uh, for, you know, two, two or three games in the middle of the season. Like, that's just, that's just not feasible and the clubs won't go for it. The supporters won't go for it. And so um, I don't know what they're going to try to do in the long term. But like I said, maybe if they – run into too many stumbling blocks there with U.S. soccer and with what they're trying to do with La Liga, maybe that's when they start saying, you know what, let's go for some more low-hanging fruit, let's make them a better offer than some, and then what I mean by them, the FMF, and let's see what we can offer them and start to work with that property. So, um, I don't know. I'm definitely interested to see what, what their next steps are as well. Buckle up. It's going to be an interesting six years until we get to the World Cup in the U.S. For sure. Assuming we'd all kill each other in Qatar, because that's gonna be in the winter. That's a whole nother just. Oh yeah. God, oh, yeah. it's a disaster. But uh, yeah. thanks, Walter. Oh, just, go ahead. From a, go ahead. just just from a uh, just from a van a fan viewership perspective too, because 
when you're watching a World Cup in the summertime, like it's easier to like have time off and just like watch in the office. But like in the middle of November, you know, you're getting ready for the holiday season. There's, you know, college football going on if you're or NFL, if you're you're in the U- U.S. And, you know, there's a lot going on with school if you have kids. And so it's going to be really hard to, to watch World Cup. It's going to be really weird to watch it in the middle of the year as opposed to watching the summertime where things are more relaxed and you can focus more on, on the event. So at least from my perspective, that's my, my opinion. Well, the thing with the with the World Cup is that the final is going to be on the 18th of December. Oh, that's right. Yep. If it would have been fun, just Christmas. push it. Yeah, it would have been Christmas. It would have been nice, but... Oh yeah, and then and then Fox got the World Cup rights for 2026 right. with no one else bidding. Yeah. Oh, that's just we'll just end it there. But man, it's just that's a whole. I I don't know how there's no more. I don't know how there's not more lawsuits in relation to the yeah. 2026 World Cup, 2022. It's just a disaster. But uh, Walter always always learn a lot when we hop on here and talk about the sports media business nerdy stuff that I just I find it interesting. I'm just I I'm I'm always glad when we get to do this. Yeah, I mean, I, I can talk about it all day. Like that's that's what I do for work, so it's it's part of my life, and I, I I'm fascinated by it. I think it's fun. So you know, whenever you want to talk, let's let's do it again. All right, where can the people find you on the interwebs? It's uh, at the W Franco, uh, F R A N C O on Twitter. Uh, no Instagram. I think I have Instagram, but I I, I never use it. Uh, and then uh, if you want to find me on LinkedIn, uh, Walter Franco, and uh, connect with me there on there as well. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Hopefully you enjoy something. Hopefully you learn something. Thanks, guys. Bye.